Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Catherine Schifferdecker, who teaches Hebrew Bible Old Testament here at the seminary. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Good to be here. We've got a great essay today by Cameron, where she, we're in this middle of this series where we're talking about uh, the favorite Bible passages of lots of our faculty members, and you take us to the book of Ezra. Yes, and, of all places. <laughs> and, and I'm guessing it's not a place where many of us are ne- are normally hanging out. I don't think it's in the top ten books the top of, 10? of most people. Oh, yeah. I like it. but t- So give us some context. Give us a sense about the book and where it lands, and then we'll drill down into the particular text. But paint us a picture of where the text is coming from. Okay, well, I figured nobody else would pick this one, so I was safe, <laughs> so you were safe. Yes, <laughs> yes. to do uh, Ezra. But Ezra is recounting the events um, of the return from exile, the return to Judah. And so um, if we think about the historical books in the Old Testament, so particularly uh, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and then uh, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, those books present a more or less linear (laughs) kind of chronological history um, or imaginative remembering is Walter Brueggemann's (laughs) phrase and I like that so um, tell us about what happened in Israel um, up to the exile and then following the exile and the exile is a sort of pivot point I think in that history this cataclysmic event where um, the promises of God, which had been realized in Israel with the Davidic king on the throne, the promises made way back to Abraham of land and descendants, had been realized. And then um, when Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and exiles the elites of the land to Babylon, those promises appear to have been lost. So it's not only a chronological pivot point, but also a theological one. But then around 539, um, Persia has defeated Babylon, and King Cyrus of Persia tells uh, the Jews who have been exiled to return to Judah, rebuild the temple, reconstitute their community back in the land. And so uh, now the question is, what, what, how can we be a community yeah. again? What are we, we going to center again? it around? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so the exile seems to be it's one of those moments. I think we often think today about moments that you remember exactly where you were when you heard about something like that. So it wasn't this kind of one time event, but it's that kind of event where nothing after that is quite the same. It's this kind of cataclysmic moment and not just about history, but also about what do God's promises mean to us? Because at this particular moment, it looks like God's promises have stopped. Uh, They're no longer what we thought they were. Right. So the texts are being written and kind of responds to that moment of, yeah. of return. And we're at your text. So yeah. give us a sense of what the text then is doing. So there was a lot of theology happening during the exile for sure, but we don't really have those texts outside of some sort of early stuff from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the prophets. But um, in terms of those historical books, there is a bit of silence. But then we pick up with this edict from Cyrus at the beginning of Ezra that says, go back and let me give you some money too and collect some money from your neighbors and um, go back and rebuild this temple. And so the text that I chose is from the ceremony where the foundations of the temple are laid. Mm. And so the text says that in addition to all of the folks who have only known Babylon and have then returned to Judah who are gathered there, 
um, that there are old people who had seen the first temple on its foundations. And so when there's this great ceremony and music and shouting, the shouting includes the weeping of those who Mm -hmm. had seen the first temple on Mm -hmm. its foundations, as well as the joyful shouts of those who are so excited about the new one. And I love that uh, juxtaposition of the weeping and the shouting, the joy and the sorrow that comes in this moment, this very symbolic moment of the tremendous change that the community has undergone. So you have this great line, uh, well, you have a lot of great lines in your essay, but I, I particularly like this kind of summation of what you just said. You said the foundations of this new temple marked the absence of all the first temple represented, as well as the presence of renewed hope and opportunity. So again, that the, the tears and the joy all mixed up together. Can you say just a little more about what what is the what is it that the first temple represented? I mean, what's the difference here between the first temple that Solomon built and and now this one? Well, we get the impression first of all that the second one is maybe not quite as grand. Certainly, you have a right, really right. a picture of great opulence and grandeur for the first temple. Yeah. But I think there's also sort of Uh, the context in which the first temple existed, which was the people as pretty much sovereign, pretty Mm -hmm. much autonomous. Mm -hmm. I mean, they Mm -hmm. were always under pressure from other uh, surrounding empires, but um, there was a king on the throne in Jerusalem, and there was a temple, and you knew where God would be. You could get to God at the temple. Um, And so, uh, you know, uh, there... They're trying to figure out or had continued figuring out, okay, if we don't have this temple anymore, has God gone with us into exile? Has God been defeated? Has How, how do we think about God's presence with us? Mm-hmm. And they sort that out um, and get this new temple too, but something um, about uh, all that they had known uh, to be true seemed to have been shaken, and so that was lost. And I think with any major change like that, I mean, I think about life events, births and deaths, and where you think you know how God is and how you're in relationship with God, and then and, and that might be a happy thing, and it may be very very true, but then something changes, and there's difference. And even if what is uh, what comes out on the other side is new and wonderful and exciting and hopeful, there's always that loss, those two things existing together. I think that's that's a particularly important thing to hear, I think, in our culture where we just assume that new stuff is always better, and it often is, right? So, like, the (laughs) most recent iPhone is a little bit better than the first one we bought. (laughs) Got a camera and things like that. But um, so I think we're used to thinking new is better. So why lament the stuff that you throw away, the old stuff that you don't need anymore? Um, I think this is a good reminder that now we're not talking about little trinkets in life, but when it comes to the big stuff of life, no matter what the transition is, even if the transition is good, like you say in, in, in the essay, there's still a sense of loss. In, in change, there's still pain. So it gives us this picture of what it looks like to be faithful in the midst of these really painful transitions. It doesn't mean that you naively and blithely assume that things are always going to be better, but that you trust God in the midst of that. And that trust encompasses being able to weep, being able to grieve, being able to give voice to the fact that you don't like the changes that are happening, even if you think the changes are the good ones or the ones that you need. 
Yeah, the Old Testament is so good at lament. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> there's so um, in the Psalms, it, the book. There's a whole book, a book of <laughs> lamentations. Um, some of the prophets have laments in them. So that sort of acknowledging one's own grief is so important, and I think quite biblical. That yeah. is mm-hmm. um, to be able to express to God anger and sadness and frustration, um, and to not. Um, put that aside and just take on the joy um, without also acknowledging pain is uh, something that the Bible teaches us in many places. And you have two good illustrations of that, I think, in your essay. You know, you talk about your own personal moment of, of after you had your first child and that moment of grieving what was past while at the same time really rejoicing in this new life. Um, I'm guessing lots of us, <laughs> parents, will will recognize that moment. I think right. in a lot of our lives. Yeah. Hence the uh, the advent of the what is it called when you go away on a trip before the, the first the child, baby the, moon. the baby, baby moon, moon. Right. Right. not a honeymoon, <laughs> but the baby moon, where you're yeah. kind of commemorating your your life the as moment, a couple. The yeah. moment I felt like I think every parent has is when it's two or three o'clock in the morning, and you think you're the only person in the world who's awake. You and this crying <laughs> child. Yeah. It's that right. moment where like this is both great and. There's a loss here yes, of my yeah. sleep. Sorry, yes. what you were saying. <laughs> and it's terrifying to think that I'm a parent. Wow, yeah. I have this responsibility. Well, so that that was a lovely uh, uh, moment that you that you wrote about. Uh, but then you you emphasize that there's an importance for a community to go through that mm-hmm. kind of grieving as well. And you lift up the example of perhaps a congregation whose ministry is is complete, uh, whose, whose doors are going to close uh, for various reasons. And unfortunately, that, that seems to be the case for um, too many churches now. But say maybe say a little more, um, yeah. how would this text work in that kind of situation, do you think? Yeah, or well, I, I, think, um, I think it helps us see moments of loss as also moments of opportunity that God is doing something new that God's faithfulness continues mm-hmm. um, I think about um, just this week I saw a church in Atlanta being physically dismantled one that I had driven by every day for years and um, the building had been sold uh, the congregation I, I don't know the whole story but the congregation is still worshiping um, and so there was a lot of uh, lament on Facebook and other places about the sort of loss of the building in which this church had been housed um, and what that meant for uh the change in direction in their ministry, but it didn't mean the church was disbanded. It meant that they were doing something new Mm -hmm. and that God had called them into new ways of ministry. So I think, I think it helps give us some perspective in that, that, you know, I don't, I don't want to reduce it to the cliche that, you know, door closes, window opens, but, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but there is something about um, taking endings as also beginnings. Um, and um, as we've said before, to be able both to lament and to have joy mm-hmm. in that moment and to not expect that everybody mm-hmm. in the community is in the same place right. mm-hmm. about this change. You know, people who've been there a long time are going to have a different level of grief than people who have just come to the community mm-hmm. and know it in mm-hmm. different ways. And so I think we have to be careful to honor uh, that full range of emotion. Yeah. Well, and I... I think uh, uh, the text itself and you at the at the end of the essay make the very important point. You know, in the midst of the joy and the grief, 
the people sing, for he is good, the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And you quote that at the very end of your piece, that no matter the, you know, whether a foundation is being built or a foundation is, you know, physical foundation or a foundation is being demolished, our true foundation is in the steadfast love of the Lord. And I can imagine in that scene that some people are voicing that through tears of joy and others are voicing it through tears of sorrow. Mm -hmm. And both of those are faithful declarations of, of mm -hmm. God's care for us, no matter how you're, you're posing that. It reminds me, uh, Jane Kenyon is one of my favorite poets, and she talks about how, uh, she says it much more beautifully than this, how when somebody, the, 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 the look that somebody makes when they're laughing and when they're crying is sometimes hard to distinguish. Yeah. Uh, there's a kind of this, uh, these emotions are so, to so tightly bound because they're so at the core of who we are. And I think this mm -hmm. passage captures that really nicely. Uh, th thank you, Cameron, for, yes. I think, a really excellent piece. I think it's going to stick with me for quite some time. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again. <laughs>